this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are back with our old friend Gavin from Australia. It is a, a multi-year event with Gavin. Thanks He's, to his... he, Gavin, you're legendary at this point. Yeah. You're, you're a man, a myth, and a legend. <laughs> Interesting. Um, good legends, I hope. You, you, yeah. You've... Uh, you're responsible for the show and the amount of uh, Australian music that we've covered. Yeah, your <laughs> contribution cannot be taken lightly. I mean, there's a whole aspect of this show which has, you know, delved into Australian music that we have never, we never would have touched. But nope. uh, you helped us guide us there, and we found a lot of good bands over the years. So, oh, that was so. so what was Australian? What Australian band <laughs> did you pick this week? <laughs> uh, yeah, this this week I've chosen a very obscure Australian band. You'll probably struggle to find them anywhere on the internet. Um, we're going with Anthrax. Nice. <laughs> so a couple times in the past you have gone with a non-Australian band. Um, yep. I want to say A Miniature. Was that your pick? Yep. And they're not Australian. No. So I know where they're from. I, I think they're a U.S. band. Yeah. Uh, that was many years ago, and I've already wiped that from my memory. So, <laughs> why did you pick the album Stomp 442, which came out in 19... Uh, what year was that? 95? Yeah, 95. Oh my God, it is. Why did you pick yeah, Anthrax? I've got 95, yeah. Um, given the original brief of the of the pod, which was um, sort of the lost albums of the 90s, or um, yeah, the ones that sort of got swept under the rug, so to speak. Um, and then there's been a bit of an ongoing theme as to what happened to the various genres. And we've also been having a discussion about um, good hard rock from that era, which is hard to find. Um, I thought it sort of fitted all these briefs because while they're a very well-known band, it's a bit of a, um, it's a bit of an outlier as an album um, mm -hmm. in every way for them. Um, and yeah, I doubt while well, everybody has probably heard of Anthrax, I doubt they've really heard this album. So I thought it fitted those that criteria and probably create some good discussion hopefully i would say it's the lesser known of the 90s anthrax records i think yeah uh, sound of white noise is better known yeah what's yeah, the uh, what's that. the one that has the uh, collaboration with public enemy is it that album or is no. it only on the public enemy album uh it's on a killer it's on a b-sides album that they did i don't know where where it originally appeared i think it was just a single originally oh, okay. um, but that's earlier way earlier yeah, yeah, that's a late '80s thing. No, it's '91. Oh, okay. Because that's on. Um, I know that <laughs> because <laughs> I uh, I can rap the first verse. And if you uh, rap the second line, though, seven years ago we wrote this one. Ah, busted. <laughs> Tim so, just got owned. So I uh, I only know Anthrax because of that. I'm gonna be completely honest. I've never listened to anything other than their collaboration with Public Enemy on Bring yep. the Noise. So I'm kind of a newbie going into this. Jay, you're not. You own this record, right? 
Yes, I own three Anthrax records. I own this one, Sound of White Noise, and uh, Worship Music. So the three I know, I know Is that their gospel well. record? No, <laughs> that's the reunion record with uh, Joey Belladonna. Guys, kind of walk me through this. Unlike the other thrash bands, which Anthrax is a part of, which are Metallica, Megadeth, and Slayer, those all had fairly consistent lead singers, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, yeah. And Anthrax did not. They actually have changed singers a couple times. So who was the original lead singer? Well, they had uh, one before Joey Belladonna. I don't remember his name. Oh, okay. And then Joey, and then John Bush came in in, what, 92, 93? Yeah, for the What Noise album, yeah. And is he still the lead singer, or have they changed back to... No, they- they went back to Joey Belladonna for worship music, which was oh, 11, 2011. And they've mm-hmm. been with him since. They've actually made two really good records with him. And I think they do um, perform with both at times as well. There's definitely an album where they um, alternate the singers. Well, they did. Um, I think it's worship music. They originally recorded it with John Bush, and then they tried another right. singer. And they didn't like him, so they went back to Joy Belladonna and I guess redid all the vocals and maybe even rewrote the songs. Right. Um, Yeah, they had a uh, middle state there in the mid, I guess around 2009, 10, where they were kind of lost, but they've got it back together with a classic lineup and um, really kicking ass. It's interesting. They've had a lot of, it seems like, lineup changes um, you mentioned about having classic lineup, but like it seems like Scott Ian is both the only consistent member of the band and also like oddly enough the most well known, which I think for a band of the eighties and nineties, like the guitar player who doesn't sing. Like I understand in the case of Megadeth, because Dave Mustaine is a singer, he's and also the guitar player, he's you know, well known. Uh, same with James Hetfield, guitar playing guitar and singing, but with Anthrax, it's weird that he's the guitar player and the and the mouthpiece of the band, but not the lead singer, which is, you know, typically the lead singer's the, the most well-known. Why he's known, I don't know, but um, so he, Charlie Benanti, and Frank Bello are the main three guys who've been in the band, I think, the whole time. The thing that's interesting about them, we can get into when we start reviewing the record, but Charlie Benante writes, I think, 99% of the music, and he's the drummer. He writes all the guitar riffs. Um, and all the songs. Hmm. Um, so, and then he obviously plays all the drums. So he's kind of the hidden uh, secret behind what is Anthrax. So it's kind of funny, yes, that not only is Scott Ian most known, he's not the singer, and he's not writing the majority of the material either, as far as I understand. Is he the lead guitarist, or is he the rhythm no. guitarist? No. He's the rhythm guitarist. So he's not the lead guitarist. He's not the yep. main songwriter. He's not the singer. You have the rhythm guitar player being the most out front person yep. in the band. That's fascinating. Yeah. Maybe they were just like, hey, we'll just give it to Scott because he's the most talkative. And then we don't have to worry <laughs> about like doing interviews on VH1 and, and MTV. Maybe. <laughs> and I'll put forward a bit of a theory based on absolutely nothing. In that era, the bands tended to have like a symbol. You know, you've got um, Eddie with Iron Maiden and um, Anthrax had Notman. He looks a little bit like Notman. So That's maybe that true. was it. That's true. He is listed as being the longest member starting in 81. 
So maybe right. he's the founder of the band. Maybe so. Maybe so. So this record that we're talking about, which is the 1995 album Stomp 442, this came out on Electra Warner. Like with other artists, Electra got some negative feedback from the band regarding the promotion, uh, which I think Scott Ian said something along the lines of it was not promoted by by Electra. We've heard this before that they've been referred to as an Electra at times. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this record then. This is from what I've read, and well, let's get into some comments here. This is a controversial record. As as Gavin mentioned before, this is a record, you know, needs to be dug out because apparently it was upsetting to some fans. We'll get into that with our comments from our Patreons. Hey, uh, I need to thank, we got two new patrons over at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Rachel Branson and Matthew T both joined us recently. Thank you both for supporting the podcast. Look forward to Looking forward to your comments on uh, upcoming episodes and your votes in polls and good luck in our upcoming contest. The next one will be for the fourth quarter, the fourth and final quarter of 2018. So Scott Witt said sound of white noise was such an amazing record that the follow-up was going to be tough. Still, this record is not good leans too much into heavy alternative Charlie has that nasty 311 snare sound that absolutely stinks, to which Scott Hallgram says what Scott says. So the Scots were on the same page. Oh. It was a Scott block. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Crawford Blair said, oh, my stars, such a contentious record in its day. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about Bear. Steven Musinski said, so when I was in middle school, Anthrax was a name I kept hearing and reading about. So when it came time to finally give him a listen, it just so happened to be this is the album that I chose via BMG Music Service. Having no context on the band whatsoever and really only having chosen this album because of the bizarre bizarre cover art, I simply did not know what to expect. I would go on to assume this album was pretty representative of the band's overall sound for quite a few years before I finally got schooled. I know a lot of people diss this, but I actually really enjoy the album, particularly the first six tracks. It's like pure nostalgia, but either way, I still spin it every now and again, and it should certainly make for an interesting conversation. And then Patrick Testa said, I call every Scott I met not for a decade after Anthrax, I'm the man came out offering no explanation. That was probably rude. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm the man. I don't even know. That's an era of the band that I don't, I mean, I remember it, but I don't know the joke. Gotcha. I don't have any of those records either. All right. Well, folks, you not can was a bit of a thing. Was it? Yeah, they used to, it's even, they do reference it very slightly on this where um, the very yells not at the end of one of the songs. Yeah. But there was yeah. always not. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that's why they were doing that. Okay.
patreon.com forward slash dig me out to join us for polls that you can vote in every month, leave feedback for shows, and be entered into our quarterly contests like the one that we just gave away for our upcoming Halloween episode, which will be in a couple short weeks. Well, they won't be short weeks. They'll just be normal weeks. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I have no control over the length of weeks. Let's get into this record. Let's talk about Stomp 442. Jay, tell me one yeah. thing you like about Stomp 442. Mm. Uh, I like a lot about this record. Uh, I love the riffs. I haven't listened to this in a long time, so I, uh, I own this record. Um and probably haven't listened to it, geez, since maybe the year or so after it came out. Um, so I remembered a lot of it, which I was surprised. Um, and what I remembered was the riffs, how well the riffs work with the drums and how well the riffs, drums and vocals work together to create um, some pretty hooky parts. Like there's sections of songs that are, um i found very memorable um that really came back to me um so you know for a band that's this aggressive it's not easy to do that um john bush is a really really strong singer um he's not super melodic um he's a little bit more gravelly um he's, he's not a yeller or shouter but he's not uh I guess um, he doesn't have the soaring range of a Joey Belladonna, so you're not going to get like these um, these amazing, you know, kind of higher vocal hooks and choruses. But he strings together phrases um, that I think work work really well with the riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the guitar tone on this record too. Um, it's heavy, but if you listen to it um, close, you know, it's, it's very full. Like it's not t- compressed to the point where uh you just hear like buzz you know you can actually make make out the strings um because they do some sections too where they carry the spirit over from uh sound of white noise where you know they'll do some they'll get out of the chuggy palm muted kind of thing and they'll do more like open chord sounds Mm -hmm. which i think is really cool um that was something that was very different on sound of white noise that i kind of started to open up a whole new soundscape for them um, and you can appreciate, you know, when they go to those sections on um, this record, the, the guitar tone is actually uh, really good in terms of it just doesn't turn into this wash of noise. It actually has definition and while still being heavy. So I, I think it's a great, uh, you know, riff record with some nice uh, hooks here and there. Um, and I like the energy through it, too. You know, I mean, it's it's a little bit more, I guess, alt rocky. Um, so it's not like mosh fest the whole time. I think, uh, maybe in a zone is, is the one song that's a, you know, straight up old school thrash kind of feel.
the rest of it, I think, explores some different space that I enjoy. Um, curious to know what you guys think. Well, having gone into this, having no previous, you know, Anthrax experience other than the collaboration with Public Enemy on Bring the Noise four years earlier, uh, this was a unique kind of approach or, or you know, going into this a unique ex- listening experience. Because I knew that this was contentious based on reading people's comments, but I didn't have a context of what the other stuff sounded like. So I just I didn't listen to that other stuff. I just listened to this Um, and I found myself really liking it. The what's funny is that probably what I like is probably what makes it contentious. It has at times like the sound of some New York uh, post punk hard rock in the vein of like helmet if helmet like amped it up a little bit and like unleashed their their more metal side Mm -hmm. it has that like new york sound and i know that this is a band unlike the other thrash bands you know megadeth metallica specifically being from the west coast this is a new york thrash band and um it seemed like they integrated some of that sort of mid-90s new york post hardcore post rock whatever you want to call it sound um it's not quite like quicksand or anything like that but it's definitely got a vibe of that sort of feel on a song like fueled i listened to that and i'm like well if helmet had decided they wanted to write a song for like nascar like that would be the song <laughs> that they would have written like cuz that that song is just it just sounds like it was made for like just getting in the car and driving 200 miles an hour and I agree with you, like the riffs are really interesting. There's a couple sort of on the latter half of the record where I feel like they get, it's a little stockier in the riffs and they're not quite as original. They're just like, you know, basically like three chord descending riffs that every metal band does. You know, the thing that you said about the open chords, that was really interesting because like in, in a song like Fueled, like when they go to the chorus, they kind of yeah. like let the chord ring out and yeah. it's very not metal. You know, it's it's much more just hard rock sounding. Um, which is a really interesting and nice take on that sound. Um, yeah, I mean, you get, um, I don't know. I get, I like a good chuggy riff as much as anybody, but at some point it's like, you need to do something else. Right. Right. A lot of bands get stuck in like, they can only do that. So then they just do variations of that in different patterns and different intensity. It's like, come on. You know, I love that, that they can, on this record and the record before do these passages that are a little bit more white noisy, I guess, in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, opening the chords up, trying different progressions. Um, so it's not like fueled. Yeah. I mean, it's got a helmet riff feel to it, but then it goes to this whole place that helmet would never go, which is what makes it kind of cool. So Gavin, um, in revisiting this record, like, first of all, when was the last time before getting ready for the show that you actually broke this out? And, um, uh, how has your you know experience with this record changed over the years? Were you a big fan of it when it came out? Was it were you confused, like a lot of Anthrax fans apparently were? What's your history with it? Uh, yeah, so I probably listen to it every six months or so since I've had it, and I, I got it at the at the time. Um, I wasn't a huge Anthrax fan at, prior to this. I had um, Among the Living and the um, Bring the Noise and those kind of things, but I wasn't a hardcore anthrax person um so i don't i think i, I think the single the um the 
I think Random Acts of Senseless Violence might have been got on the radio or something like that that I heard and, and I liked it. Um, so, yeah, for me, um, well, to, to go about your contention thing, I think what, what that basically is for everybody is the gap between is this a good album or is this a good Anthrax album? And I think the first question's pretty simple. This is a really good hard album, which was difficult to find at the time. I think mm-hmm. the contention is, um, is it is it an Anthrax album? Because um, typically, or well, prior to this, of those bands, everyone, all those bands were very earnest, and Anthrax were the only ones who were kind of having a bit of fun with it. They're the only ones who probably realised that grown men singing about, you know, whatever Megadeth sings about was just a bit funny um, or, a bit, you know, a bit silly. Uh, and so they kind of poked fun at that with, with what they did and how they dressed and all the rest of it. So, and this doesn't, this is a very earnest album compared to what they've done previously. Um, there's even, I mean, somebody mentioned the song bear. There's a ballad on this album. They do not do ballads. Yeah. Um, you know, they have a, they have a song, they have a song called, well, it's backwards, but nice fucking ballad in which the love interest gets killed at the end of the song by a truck. That's, that's how much they enjoy ballads up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I guess at the time, so 95, we had, the grunge thing had taken off, but every band that we'd had previously to that, uh, all the all the hard rock bands, had all either sort of disappeared or didn't know what to do, or they'd tried to become grunge bands and they were terrible at it, or they went to the like the screaming vocal, like Pantera went way up the uh, high, way higher up the fire trails with how heavy they became. Mm-hmm. Um, Skid Row tried to do it, um, and you know with like, a little bit of success. Um, and these guys, I guess, this is their attempt to go, okay, how do we even fit into this anymore? You know, because we can't be what we were because nobody wants what we were. Mm-hmm. We don't really fit as a grunge band, even though, let's just say, there's little little nods here and there on this one. Um, White Noise, to me, was them delving ever so slightly into a sort of an industrial sound. And so they're, they're trying to figure out where they are. And then, well, I don't know why they were swapping singers. So there's obviously dramas there as well. So, yeah, I don't know if that, that answers your question or <laughs> not. The uh, the singles for this were fueled and nothing. Okay. Um, I remember Random Acts of Senseless Violence for some reason too. Maybe it was just because it was the album opener, but that always seemed when I re-listened to it, I, I thought that was a uh, a single as well. Mm. We had an EP out here that accompanied this, which I think it was on. Mm. Might have been a tour thing or a promotional thing or something like that. It's interesting that those were the singles because I mean those are good songs. One song that I really enjoyed and I I. The, that got stuck in my head is uh perpetual motion um that part when they're all like gang vocal doing the gang vocal uh like oh, i think it's like we never ro- went down rolling. yeah i mean that is such like a perfect like <laughs> yeah. that should have been a single yeah yeah, yeah. band a little bit freed like that they're just kind of doing what they want to do i i don't get the sense in listening to this that they were trying to adhere to some sort of 
oh well you know the bands are grungier now we got to make a grungier record it just sounds like a band that was like maybe they just wanted to try something different you know what i mean yeah. like i think they're yeah. very successful at it it for the most part i don't think that there's i don't think there's a bad song on the record there's a couple songs where i'm i like I said, I think there's like a few riffs from like, ah, that's that's not the most inventive riff I've ever heard. But a lot of the record just sounds like they're having fun, like with perpetual motion and the chorus and and that song. They just it just doesn't it doesn't sound tired. Whereas when you heard like some of the other bands that tried to make grunge records, they sound they 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 keyed in on the wrong thing, whereas they tried to make like these like dirgy kind of like depressing sounding records and this is a lot of fun because they keep the tempo for the most part up tempo um it just sounds like a blast like it sound like i said it sounds like a fast driving car and you just mm. want to like keep the pedal down we should talk about that ballad though <laughs> well i wanted to talk about nothing real quick because okay. that was the second single sure. and, uh, i think that's maybe my favorite song on the record in that it it doesn't sound like I don't think it sounds very 90s at all. Um, I think it still sounds good today. I think the chords and the mix of being melodic but heavy is unique and cool. And when I revisited it, I could almost hear like at the core idea of the song, it almost sounds like Maiden. Um, now they play different than Maiden does, but there's something about the songwriting that felt very much like Iron Maiden when you really stripped it down and I could yeah. definitely hear them like doing it. Um, so that's just one of the examples of, I think to your point, Tim, and we talked about this on the, um, when we reviewed the Molly crew record from 94 in that mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's written off as like them trying to be something else. I, 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 I'm with you on with this record and that record and that, I think it's just a group of guys writing the music they were inspired to write at the time by a lot of other new music that they were getting into and challenging themselves. I don't think it sounds like tired or um, artificial. I think it sounds like this is what they wanted to do at the time and this is what they felt like you know, would be original and what was inspiring them. So right. where it fits in the Anthrax catalog, I don't know. One of those bands that like has a sense of humor and that brings out, I think, fans that are, I don't know, really quirky about expecting certain things. I think their early records had a sense of humor to them somewhere in the records. And in the 90s, they kind of lost that and they haven't always had it when they uh, in the recent stuff. So I don't know. It it brings out some strange uh, opinions in terms of uh, what's acceptable and what's not, I guess. Right. That's yeah. I don't know anything about that sense of humor stuff. Like, I don't get a sense of humor. I get a sense of joy and release in some of the performance here, but I don't get like it's not like goofy. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. Like the, their early records, like Cabin was saying, they had they had a there'd be a song or two or some some reference or something that was kind of trying to take the piss out of you know uh, metal taking itself seriously. Gotcha. Where this record is not doing that. There's no, no there's no notion of that here. There, there are older stuff like a, a song like I Am The Law is about Judge Dredd way before that was a movie when it was just a comic book, you know, years and years earlier. So that was where their themes were coming from, all those yeah. kind of things rather than, you know, the devil like everybody else was singing about. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I've gotten the impression from seeing Scott Ian in interviews that he's kind of a like a comic book nerd. Mm-hmm. And so it would make sense that he would be singing about more, you know, not serious or feigned serious topics like the devil or whatever you want to insert there. <laughs> that Maiden reference, though, now that you mention that, like when I listen to Bush's vocals on that song, I can hear that influence like he it's less biker rock and more british heavy metal rock there yeah and he was in armored he was a singer for armored saint which is an la uh band that was on the sort of forefront of new wave of of heavy metal but they were kind of influenced by the british bands early on in their early 80s and then they were quickly you know, coming up with their version of that. So they were right there with Judas Priest and Maiden as that broke. And they were like one of the first American bands to kind of push that sound. So he was, he was the singer in that band. So he definitely has heritage in that. That's interesting. Cause he's really not that kind of singer. No, not on this, not, not on the anthrax stuff. Yeah. What doesn't work? Anything for you, Jay? It gets a little bit into um, riff fest. You know, um, we've had some other records that, that get in that territory uh, where it's you know this riff and that riff, and there's an intro riff, and then there's this arbitrary riff before the chorus, and you know it's just riff after riff after riff, and you just sort of gets it gets a little too complicated. So there's some sections where that happens. Um, it's not as bad as some others. Um, I think. Bush's vocals and melodies um, sometimes are great and other times are a little forgettable. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not consistent. I think they're, uh, he's probably more consistent on Son of White than always on this record. There's a couple songs in here that are a little lazy, you know, that, that aren't as inspired as others. Um, I think lyrically it's okay. Um, there's a couple lines here and there that are, you do a bit of a double take, like, what did you just say? Uh, uh, I think there's a section where he's screaming, suck it, suck it. That's a little, yeah, um, <laughs> a little painful. Uh, it, it's just a moments like that. I, I think it's, it's here and there. There's no major sections of the record that are really bad. I mean, I, I like the middle of it better than the, than the end, but those are the types of things I point out. Gavin, what about you? Is, is there any aspects of this record that don't work? Um, the only thing I would say that doesn't work is 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 that is it um, an Anthrax record? That's that's the thing. This is this is a, a great hard rock record, but it could have been done by a band you'd never heard of. Like you said, it could have been a Helmet's attempt at that. Um, so you know, and so what could they have done that was more like what they had done previously? So as we still had that band kicking around as well, um, you know, and using the ballad again, which I assume will be covered in Power Ballads Volume Two. <laughs> um, they uh, and because it's it's a pretty decent 
valid, I think, as far as these songs go. But, you know, did we want Anthrax doing one? Probably not. Um, so, yeah, no, otherwise, yeah, I, I got the riffing this time because, you know, obviously, especially with the extra week, I've really noticed just playing it in the car how much sort of chugging riffery there is on this. Um, and, yeah, I, I didn't notice that suck it, suck it vocal, but now you say it, yeah, I definitely have the windows up if I'm singing along to that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about Bear a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Gavin. Um, I think it's a fine enough song. Should it be on an Anthrax record? Boy, I'd like to I'd like to believe that, you know, bands like this can at least, you know, I mean, Sabbath did it with uh, Planet Caravan. You know, it's, it's happened. Um, maybe they should have went a little bit more like psychedelic or something. But my only issue with the song really is his I think he's struggling to find his voice in it. Um, he's uh, his vocals are very strong. The rest of the record, um, in fact, there's some there's some there's some choruses or hooks in this record. He just wills through pure might of his vocal <laughs> yeah. ability. Um, this one, he sounds a little lost in terms of what to do. Um, he, I don't know. He sounds a little off key or something. Like there's just not something yeah. quite right. He like warbles and. Like yeah. trying to nail the note in some was like, ah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does that a lot. I'm like, am I my, my ears broken? Because man, that sounds like somebody who's like not finding the note. I think it picks up in the second half when it um, sort of speeds up a little bit and gets a bit heavier. Yes. I think, I think that that bit's better than the first half. To your point, I would disqualify this as a power ballad because <laughs> they go to a, a double time at the end of the song, which takes it out of the ballad ter- territory. Uh-huh. So it's it's that's the faux pas of uh, of, uh, of of balladry, power balladry. Available no. on Amazon, Power Ballads, <laughs> both in paperback and Nietzsche. Kindle. Power Ballads Volume 2 coming in 2023. <laughs> and, and, and this song does have the percussion, percussion stuff in it. And yep. listening to the way the guitars are tracked, it, it, it sounds awful. Like, like they started off trying to write a Planet Caravan. Um, and then when they John Bush started singing, then it went in a different direction and kind of ended up what it was. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't what they were trying to do. A little, little more experimental, and it got more, yeah, safe when yeah. I got along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, agree. I mean, I think this is a really strong record. I think there are some melodies on the weaker songs. Uh, I'm not a fan of like American Pompeii. I don't find that to be a real compelling song, and I don't. I think it drags down 
that area. It's almost it's five and a half minutes, which is um, easily the longest song uh, besides Bear. So, you know, that that one to me is one that could have used a trim or there's some interesting stuff on like uh, Tester. Um, But again, it's got that like chugging that like you were mentioning, Jay, that's like Mm -hmm. there's they do some other cool stuff. With like those rare, rare, the, the like. Yeah. Yeah. There are some very cool uh, second and third guitar parts on this record that I right. had never real. I never heard them before. It's Charlie like, Bonante. Just, he played. Okay. The, he played those parts. Yeah. yeah. So I'm starting. I'm learning that Charlie Bonante is is a, a hell of a multi-instrumentalist. <laughs> yeah. He's he's pretty much the band. Um. But I don't have a lot of complaints. I thought it was, you know, I think from two to like seven is really strong. And then maybe add like one other in there, like drop the ball or something. So this came out in 95. I I did not listen to this in 1995 when it came out. You two did. I don't remember seeing the video. I'm assuming this was on like MTV's Headbangers Ball when it came out mm. or, or did they try to go with like alternative nation or something? Oh boy. I don't remember. I remember sound of white noise getting a lot of hype. Um, I remember the videos for that. I don't remember, uh, this, uh, much in terms of videos or commercially what it did. Do you, do you remember anything, Gavin? No, but we didn't really have, um, MTV in that like in the way that you guys had it. Um, Anthrax for me around this era are probably more in like skateboard or surfing videos in the you know the music in the background of those. White Noise definitely was a big on that, and um, uh, was one of the previous album um, Time Ticking in My Head, whatever that was called. Mm-hmm. Of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so those songs sort of, and that's that's more where I was hearing this. If I'm not a big watcher of music, if that makes sense, anyway. That makes sense. I I remember the album cover, like I remember that. This album, uh, when we were in college radio, we had there was a metal show, and metal had remember metal had its own stacks, and I remember this album being in there, and it, I don't remember getting I don't remember making it into rotation for regular uh, alternative, but I know that the uh, metal folks played it, so and I remember I mean I've seen this album cover over and over again, um, probably because it's a the guy's name Storm Thorgerson. Yep. One of his. Yep. Right. He's, a He's pretty, the legend. Yes. Many Catherine records. And Pink Floyd and Yeah. He's a he's a good Google. Go Google his name and you'll be amazed how many um, amazing album covers that he's done. Right. Well, the other thing about the cover, again, because this was a bit of a confused album and a confused time for this kind of music, is um, this is the only time they haven't used the logo. So there's just a, a typeface for the Anthrax right. on this one, whereas every other album has. So I think that sort of shows what you were saying earlier about just um, being free of the of the past rather than the present, I think. Um, but also a bit of confusion. Okay, now we've freed ourselves of that. What are we? Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't realized that before. And that was yeah, something that happened in the '90s. Is a lot of bands from the '80s that were making records in the '90s, like at some point, like tried to shed their logos or identities or reinvent them. Mm. Yeah, 
because grunge sort of introduced the, the fact that being a brand or being important was not important. Yeah, right. Whereas prior to that, you know, your brand was your was your T-shirt. It was your, you know, it was everything. Right. Very true. Were the album better EP, decent single, Jay? What do you say? Uh, I think it's a worthy album. Yeah, I, I again, uh, I'm with Gavin. I think it's a, a really solid hard rock uh, metal record, um, regardless of who did it. Um, if you kind of forget the legacy of the band, just listen to uh, it for what it is. Um, I think it's really strong. I will agree with you. I think it's a worthy record. I'm at about, I think, eight songs on this. So, And there are bonus tracks for various reissues. Uh, which includes a Kiss cover that's pretty good. Did you hear that, Jay? Did you hear that Kiss cover? <laughs> uh, yes, I've heard that one in the past. They've, they've covered Kiss a couple times. Well, Scott Ian's a huge Kiss nerd. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. And of course, Gavin, I'm assuming you're, this is a worthy record for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and every time I come back to it, it's um, it never sort of lets me down. There's quite a lot of other ones uh, still... Well, I still love them. They sound aged. This this doesn't sound aged at all to me. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a great hard rock album. I do, I do lean towards. Is this even a metal album? Because Anthrax is a metal band. I don't really consider this metal. But I think, as I said to you the other week, when you start listening to it and you listen to those riffs and um, the, the riffs are very Pantera, and then we went back and thought who was playing it, and of course, of course they are. It's Dimebag. Um, yep, he's on a couple songs. Yeah, um, yeah. So. One thing we didn't address, uh, I want to bring up. Scott Witt mentioned the the nasty three eleven snare. I did not pick up on that the way I have with other records. Yeah, no, it's a different sound. Not to be persecuting about those snare sounds, but it's a different sound. I mean, I could see people not liking it, but the three eleven sound is not only is it high pitch, but it has this awful like um, ring to it. Right. It like it hits and then it goes. Oh. <laughs> this is a much more like sharper uh more uh, uh compressed sound but I, I mean i can see how people wouldn't like it gotcha it's not for everybody i'm always interested at the uh, bands people manage to reference on on your show you know when they so sort of say oh this reminds me of that or i hate this bit because it reminds me of that and um you know generally we, we tend to get find our way to weezer at some point i certainly didn't expect to find them here but i didn't expect to find 311 either <laughs> <laughs> we try <laughs> I think you made a good point though there. I think this is a hard rock record, not a metal record, which is oh, probably where it <laughs> No, I think it I think that's legit. Like Yeah. I, I think it's funny just how like the bar on metal has seemed to move. Right. I, I think like in nineteen ninety five this would have been a metal record. I could see now, like music's gotten so much their bands are so much heavier than this, but Right. I mean I, other I, than I think, I buy it. there's a couple like double kick parts, but you know. well, there's more than a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's metal to you is also depends on how much metal you listen to. Like, yeah. if you play this to the, the man in the street, th- this is metal and heavy. And and but if you play it to someone who listens to a lot of metal, no, this is rock. So, right. Yeah. If they're look, listening to Swedish death metal, they're like, "What is that?" <laughs> well, that boy music. Came abundant and abundantly clear about five minutes into our metal uh, in, the, in the '90s episode uh, that we did. I think Tim and I. Um, at least uh, I'll say I, I was going more for a hard rock uh, yeah. references, and I think our guests were true metal fans, and we're questioning our 
at least my credibility. Why were we there? Yeah. (laughs) All right. I want to remind everyone you can go to iTunes. You can leave us some positive feedback if you so choose and uh, helps us over there at the rankings of what have you. And is there anything else, Jay, that we need to remind people of? Uh, Is the Dig Me Out Radio still going? No. No. Okay. It might come back, but scratch that. We don't know. <laughs> if you, but if you would like to help us make it a reality, you can go to Patreon, and if we hit the five hundred dollar uh, goal, uh, we will make Dig Me Out Radio a reality, twenty four seven, programmed around the music you hear on this show. Yes, all your favorite songs f- from all your favorite episodes. All those bands that we reviewed, and you were like, I never heard that band. Let me go find them. And then you couldn't find them. Well, right. you, to hear them. <laughs> you can go into our radio station and, and wait for the song to show up. Because uh, they're not going to show up anywhere else. Because they were only on a cassette that was came out in Kalamazoo, <laughs> they Michigan. A, they were on a thumb drive that uh, Gavin sent <laughs> exactly. seven years ago. Exactly. Oh, we're going to get to some of those. Don't worry about that. Oh, yeah. Well, we're you know, the nice thing is we can, do, we can program... You know, if we get this thing up and running, we can program special weekends. Like we could just do an all Australian oh, yeah. weekend. Oh yeah. Or we could do, you know, all sorts of things. So Jay and I could broadcast live. You know, we could do a twenty four hour marathon if we wanted. <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Get real sweaty. Gavin could call in from the pub. Yes. There, there you go. Oh, <laughs> uh, you could probably get a three eleven weekend going too. Oh my. <laughs> Uh, I think there's a angry. probably a radio station somewhere in like uh, Utah that's doing that. So. <laughs> okay, that ended the competition then. Leave yes. it to him. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.